0: Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin and this is Richard
1: Campbell. Here for another hour of cloud goodness. How are you, sir? I like a little cloud. You know, I remember back in the early days of Azure where we were like, okay, we've done enough, what could you do with this? Let's get a few case studies and, you know, yeah. wait to see some things happen. And these days it's just like cloud is how you build software. Yeah. It's funny. And
0: today it's going to be great. Uh, James Sturdivant is here in the studio. We'll be talking to him in a minute, but uh, it's going to be practical application. This This is going to be a great show, chock full of great information. Building stuff. Yes, but first, we have a little thing to do called Better Know a Framework. All right, dude, what do you got? Okay. Over in the Java world, there's this thing called Spring Cloud for Cloud Foundry. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's a microservice toolkit. Well, there's a company that did a port of it for .NET, and it's called SteelToe. If you go to SteelToe.io, you'll see this. So here's some of the things in the box. It's got a .NET client for Netflix Eureka, hmm. so your microservices can register themselves and discover other registered services. Uh, it's also a config server, so you can store your apps config in a centralized version controlled Git repo and also has connectors for common backing services like Redis, RabbitMQ, MySQL and Postgres. And I think they might even be owned by RabbitMQ, but I'm hmm. not sure about that. I just saw a comment somewhere. I might be wrong.
1: Well, it's all open source stuff, too. You can just look at it on, uh, on GitHub, right?
0: Yep, you sure can steeltoe.io cool. so uh, again this is just something i found it tends to be trending right now and uh, therefore i wanted everybody to take a look at it that's very cool, dude yeah
1: who's talking to us richard grabbed a comment off show 1248 the one we did with michelle bustamante when we talked about containers and microservices mm. oddly enough in azure and that was uh, january of 2016 so this conversation has been going on for a while and just becoming more and more relevant yeah and uh Even though that show is more than a year ago, this comment's only from a few months ago. This is from Jeffrey Morris, who Ah. says, this show was especially helpful since the conversation between you and Michelle was so relevant to my current projects. Whoa. We are slowly transitioning towards microservices and composite services using REST and some legacy soap services. We have painfully learned that as organizations grow larger, the importance of maintainability, reusability, discovery, and so on for these services becomes more and more crucial to prevent redundancy and promote centralization, Mm. among other benefits. I can read between the lines here, Jeffrey. Mm. (laughs) Something tells me people have rebuilt and recreated several services over and over again on Mm -hmm. you. And you're like, ah, can we just use the ones we have? Right. A show dedicated to modern approaches for managing services, formalizing service contracts, that's planning, automating service registration with DevOps, that's deployment, and service versioning recommendations, and that would be maintainability for both open and on-prem implementations would address some of the most pressing operational challenges for services in large organizations. As always, the show is an invaluable way to stay apprised of technology changes, and we appreciate all that you do. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks, Jeffrey. I mean, we couldn't do it without you, man. And uh, certainly we'll see if we can talk a little bit more about those elements of sort of maturing your infrastructure. Even Steeltoe speaks directly to that, right? Like having a good framework for how do you do discovery? How do you manage your configurations Mm. so that you can discover and reuse the services you've already built within your organization? Right. But be that as it may a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you, and if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media, because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+, and if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on
0: Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We scale them up, then throw them away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm afraid your tweets are cattle. <laughs> <laughs> scale them up, scale them down scale them up scale them down that's what we do you're about to hear a crack of a whip and raw high okay <laughs> scale them up scale them down scale them up scale them down raw
0: <laughs> <laughs> move them up get them up all right uh james sturdivant sitting right across the window in our dual booths here at poop studios Uh, Also on Twitter as Aspen Wilder works for Microsoft, where he partners with developers to explore the latest technologies for the web and IoT. Prior to Microsoft, he worked in the web development space for 10 plus years, working with startups and enterprises to improve the way they do business through technology. James is a regular speaker at local and national conferences and blogs at jamessturtevant.com. That's James, S-T-U-R-T-E-V-A-N-T dot com. And when he isn't practicing his software craft, James can be found running through the woods, climbing mountains, or hiking with his daughters. Welcome, James. Hi, great to be here. I'm really glad you just came down today. Um, You decided it wasn't that big of a drive. Just come on down studio, do it for real.
2: Yeah, shot right down the highway, and here I am, and this is pretty cool. It's a really treat to be able to see
0: It's cool, and it's a nice little city, New London, but, you know, you and I are the only developers here. Oh, really?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'd say come visit
0: me, but it's a bit more of a drive. Ah, but you know what, though? Even though there are no developers, everybody's got an idea for an app, and they want you to do it for free. That's always true. I've,
1: I've, I've sat in the local pub there and had that experience. Yeah. Got this great
0: idea. First of all, sign this NDA. Okay. You get half.
1: You do all the work. Not that I'm bitter or anything.
0: No, I'm not bitter. Just, you know, always never shocked when I get approached by that, you know. So what I do now is I say, you know, ideas are cheap, money talks. You got 50 grand, let's write some software.
1: Nice, you know? And how many conversations do you have after that?
0: None. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz that's what the average app costs to build. Yeah. Sure, sure.
2: Yeah.
1: Especially on the mobile there, there's side. There's so
2: many things that go into it that uh your sure. person in the coffee shop doesn't really realize, so no, yeah,
1: they don't know. Hey, it's that bicycle shed problem, right? You've used an app, therefore you know how to to make an app. <laughs> it's not that big a deal. Yeah, and how about this question? Oh, so
0: have you taken a look to see if that app exists already?
1: Uh, uh no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. See, so now you're just causing trouble there.
0: All right, let's talk microservices with James here. Um, James, we have talked, as you heard from Richard's uh, email that he read. We have talked about microservices a lot on .NET Rocks, and we have talked about service fabric a lot on .NET Rocks. But I still, it still feels elusive to me as someone who may be just developing um, or, or someone who may have like a, a, a classic ASP.NET site, maybe an ASP.NET 2.0, maybe a Web form site. And, you know, they don't understand what microservices is except for, oh, okay, I can separate things out and scale them up independently. That's really good. But, uh, you know, maybe there's maybe something in that website is slowing us down and we want to um, optimize how this whole system works. Where do they get started with, uh, you know, what's the first step for them? Is there a first step and is it a difficult step?
2: I would say the first step is monitoring, right? Uh, being able to look at the application and tell me exactly where in the application they're having that slowdown or they're having a trouble. Maybe it's maybe it's not even a slowdown. Maybe mm. it's this part of the code is get touched so much mm. and they're not able to rapidly develop on that. Mm. Like they would be able to if it was split out from the application, from, from the whole application. Right. So is
1: that a method profiling you've done to try and figure that out?
2: Yeah, so I, I think the profiling is in the the logging it will be at all different levels. You want mm-hmm. to be able to do it at the the base level, so you know just how much CPU, how much memory is is being used. But right. um, you can also get down to the fine grained application mm. component, like this particular component inside my application is being used this much versus. Uh, this other part of the application I'm working with. Right.
1: Well, I mean, I, I guess it's been always been one of the arguments for microservices is that I have this service layer I've built and it's running all the time. You know, it's constantly logging calls. It's hard to know well, what's busy and what isn't within a given set of services. Right. So the first line of defense is
0: let's instrument the, the the you know what, out of this uh, app and find out where uh, where the most code is executing. And therefore, if we could move that outside the application into a separate service, then we can, you know, scale it up uh, as need be where the rest of the app doesn't need to scale so much, right? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Uh, I think if I say I just want to go to microservices Mm -hmm. and I say, well, why? And you say this is because I want to be able to move faster because... um, I want to be able to scale my application. I say, well, what part of the application do you want to scale? Right. Where do you want to scale that? How mm-hmm. do you you need to be able to point to a particular metric or some sort of uh, artifact that you can say that this is the thing that this is why we're struggling. This is why we're having problems in this particular part of the okay. application.
0: So let's say there is something now that can't be solved just by, oh, I don't know, sticking a cache in there or something. there is some something that's getting hit so much that we know we could process a lot more transactions if we just move this out now what's the next step next step is
2: looking at how many dependencies are internal to that application right so Mm. um you need to before you can actually just pull this component out you might have so many dependencies uh within that monolithic application that you need to be able to start to break seams across the application to to do the development there so you need to uh Analyze what parts of the application can you start to break out and and what and take a few steps to
0: begin to prepare the application so that you can. So, separate your concerns as much as possible within the same application first. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and it's, that's surprisingly difficult. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, like, you don't know. It's not that easy to see all the dependencies. That takes time.
2: Right. You you think you know it and then you pull it out and you say, and then this thing over here breaks <laughs> and you're like, right. oh man, huh.
0: Surprise. Right. And are there are there tools to easily see that? Dependency maps and whatnot?
2: Yeah, I mean there are tools to see like what libraries that you're taking dependencies on and mm. what what your class structure is. I believe there's some stuff in Visual Studio that sure. enables you to do that.
0: Yeah. Okay. And you know if you're old school like me you have what is it depends right <laughs> if you're old you have depends but if you're old school there is a there's actually a command line tool that goes back to win32 that has oh, a yes. map of all dependencies for dll's yeah i was just doing um some some native stuff
2: and we had to figure out what were all the different libraries we needed to bring in for that yeah. particular component
0: and um that that's the tool we ended up using yeah right exactly see it depends that's what you need <laughs> old people <laughs> <laughs> for more reasons than i thought more. you
1: were going to say end which is is a product oh but, okay uh, you have to pay for it but uh, it is and it it's a bunch of tools that does that kind of thing but uh and and one of them is, you know, doing that dependency analysis. But there's lots of ways to get there.
0: Now that I have identified that, I've prepared my application for splitting off. Before I split, I, I kind of need to be in the cloud anyway, right? So can I move it into Service Fabric or Azure or a container or something like that? And it, is that sort of the next step?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's, depending on the way that you set up your application and what you're trying to accomplish, there's plenty of different ne- next steps, um, what we see pretty often is, in the case of Service Fabric, is you can take your existing application. Service Fabric gives you some capabilities to do this through what we call guest executables or even container support. Right. And enables you to take your application as is, package it up, mm. give it to Service Fabric, and start running it inside Service Fabric.
0: Nice. Interesting. And
2: we see that happening a lot because it's the first step to becoming... Familiar and comfortable with the tool set that you're going to be working with uh, right. to to break down these microservices.
0: So even though it's one big app, you can still use the Service Fabric tools and get familiar with it and get all the instrumentation and the scalability and all that.
2: Yes, uh, I mean the it's not going to instantly scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, Service Fabric isn't going to be this magic bullet that can solve that problem. Your your application has to be able to be has to be designed to scale, right. um, but it will give that ability to do that in a pretty easy way if right if if that's the capability
0: that has so now that it's in you know now that it's in service fabric i can and even if it's in a container right which is completely cool i can have a docker container uh application in a docker container being controlled by service fabric right yep yeah so then now i start splitting things off i say okay i've got this piece that's ready to go i can move that into a separate service now when when that is a loaded sentence, move that piece into a separate service, because <laughs> as we all know, there are so many different ways that you can do this. There are Azure functions, there are Azure services, there are, you know, complete Docker containers just for a single service. Yeah, Therein lies, I think, the brick wall for a lot of people. Right.
2: And I think it comes back down to taking a look at the feature that is on your road roadmap next and saying, hey, is this something that is can be deployed and developed independently Mm. and use that as your first service that you build in Service Fabric. Mm. Um, If not, it's okay to continue to develop in that application and and build it up there. And then as you're looking at it, maybe you can start to break those seams that we were talking about a little bit before.
1: Well, because I think the other area where you might pour work in is this is where we're having the performance problem. Should we peel that one out? Yeah.
2: Yep, absolutely. Um, And so being able to be already in the in that space and start to experiment and do that rapid development um, and build new services is is very powerful with the service fabric
0: so now new services could be azure functions could be azure services and then there's another uh stateful service that we were just talking about can can you tell us what that is that's a pretty cool idea
2: yeah so service fabric I, i think it's important to realize that um, if just because you move over to the Service Fabric application and you start working in it, um, you don't necessarily build everything inside Service Fabric. So as you mentioned, you could you could have an Azure App Function and call out to that, or mm. um, Azure SQL Database, yep. or Event Hubs, or something along those lines that's already in Azure, and you just kind of call out to it, mm-hmm. or anywhere else for that matter. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, and the but the stateful services are uh, a programming model that's built on top of. Um, service fabric. So so I mentioned before that you can run uh, guest executables, you can run um, containers. Mm -hmm. The kind of next level is moving into this space where we have reliable services and you kind of tap into the service fabric application at a higher level, um, a higher abstraction level. And once you do that, uh, you can can build these reliable services, but you can also build stateful services. And the idea of this is that you bring your data and put it right next to the compute. So Mm -hmm your application no longer has to make a network hop to read the data. And nice. you can then, so, so it's going to be very performant. Uh, and it's yeah. used a lot in sort of like caches and sure. um, anytime you need to,
0: to get that high performance. Or for the old ASP and ASP.NET developers, session state. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: it's a, it's a, it's Synalogous. almost a similar. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so,
2: so you you would build this at any place where you might need to do um, high compute, and maybe typically that data would live out in a SQL Server. But that but the slow part, and this comes back to the monitoring, is that the slow part is the network hop to get the data loaded into your service. Yeah. You if you know that that's a slow part, you can bring that data locally to that service, so you can do the processing. right right there and the, the read is just uh, to the local disk.
0: Yeah, very cool. Stateful services would be good for obviously things that are long running, right? So uh, whereas something like an Azure function has a time limit, you can be in that function then you have to get out. So if you were processing a video file like and putting a watermark on every frame, you know, for an hour long video, that's gonna take a while. That's not something that your typical quick function can handle.
2: Yeah, that's some of the, the limitations of the serverless compute currently um, mm. is, you know, time frame and memory consumption. And yeah. when you move into the service fabric space and you want to be able to do, do that, you have more control over the services that you're running. And so you can do longer compute uh, processing.
0: Nice. Hey, uh, James, hold on one second. Hold that thought because we have to uh, pay the bills. This episode of .NET
1: Rocks is made possible in part by Windows on the Google Cloud Platform. You may not know this, but the Google Cloud Platform supports Windows Server 2008, 2012, and 2016. It also supports SQL Server
0: versions 2012, 2014, and 2016 standard, web, and enterprise editions with high availability.
1: You can deploy your ASP.NET Windows apps to Compute Engine or your ASP.NET Core apps to App Engine or Container Engine. That's Google's hosted Kubernetes environment. .NET
0: and .NET Core libraries are there for all 200 plus Google.com and cloud services in NuGet, led by John Skeet, of Stack Overflow
1: fame. But what about Visual Studio integration? Oh, it's there. You can use Visual Studio to manage your GCP resources and deploy your existing apps.
0: You get Stack Driver Logging, Error Reporting, and Tracing support for .NET and .NET Core.
1: PowerShell Commandlets for GCP, which run on Windows and Linux.
0: And a great set of partners to bring your Windows and .NET workloads to GCP, including Capgemini, Nudesic, and
1: Magenic. So go to gcp.netrocks.com and get your free trial today. And you're listening to .NET Rocks with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell,
0: James Sturtevant from Microsoft in the Boston office, came down to the studios talking to us today about microservices, in particular service fabric from a practical point of view. So now I think this is where the big work begins once you've got You know, once you've got one service broken off now, you know, every, uh, of course, you know what happens, right? When you have success with one thing, everybody wants to jump on it and you you start to shove everything in there. (laughs) And can you tell us about any projects that you've done recently with Service Fabric where that was the case?
2: Yeah, actually, so just a few weeks ago, I was working with a company and um, one of the things around Service Fabric is the fact that it doesn't just run on Windows, but it also runs on Linux. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was a bigger organization and they had two, uh, kind of camps inside their organization. One was a Linux side of. the the house and the other was the window side and the window side had taken on and adopted service fabric Mm -hmm. and they were having success. They were using some of these more advanced programming models around actor model and stateful services. And the Linux house side of the house was like, how are you guys doing this? Right. And so they started to look and they said, well, we have service fabric and they, they got interested in, in developing on that side of things. And they, um, they kind of took that approach where, hey, we're going to take our application and put it in a container, begin to get used to the tools uh, that Service Fabric provides us. Mm. And then after that, they're going to be bringing on new services to, to develop. Uh, and, and particularly the one that they're interested in was alerting, mm-hmm. uh, right? So after, after, uh, doing some sort of monitoring around the application, they could, uh, Write This little sm- small stateful service that could do some monitoring and do some alerting based off of the, the information that was coming off that.
1: And what were the Linux guys programming in?
2: They were in Java. Um, Oh wow. Yeah. And they're actually yeah. using uh, WebLogic. web So they, the, uh, logic, there's a container, uh, that Oracle provides and they, uh, wrap their application up inside an Oracle web logic container.
1: Yeah, is that the old BEA WebLogic from the day?
2: Yeah, like super old wow. school. Yeah,
1: oh, um, holy cow! Acquired in two thousand eight.
2: Yeah, I'm not super familiar with WebLogic myself.
1: This is this is like enterprise Java, This is Java Enterprise Service Beans. I swear. Yes, like, these are the the original way to build componentized services. You know, from the early aughts. Yep,
2: yeah, and we took that, put it in a container, and put it on Service Fabric, and and
1: orchestrated it. That's awesome. <laughs> but I mean just you talk about taking an existing code base like this stuff runs forever. If you got it working right, like it was not an easy way to build software in the beginning. It took a while to get it right, but you've got organizations out there with a ton of this stuff that they count on every day. Yeah. The idea that you could move it into a new platform essentially and keep it going and and you know, have some confidence about how it's going to run and scale, that's really cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so um, that company, they, the particular thing they were trying to do is they had um, an application and, and they ran it in a multi-tenanted situation. Um, and so they would create a new instance of that application um, every time they onboarded a new customer. Wow. And so they had a really good continuous uh, deployment uh, pipeline, but mm-hmm. the bringing on a new customer was challenging for them right? Um, it, because they had to do the underlying infrastructure deployment.
0: Right. They're trying to use the same database, for example, trying to fit it into their existing stuff. Right. And what you really need is a copy.
2: Exactly. And that's <laughs> where uh, there's a there's a concept inside service fabric that gives you the ability to essentially do a template of what the application looks like. Yeah. And then when a new customer comes on, you say, hey, create me a new one of these. Yeah. And so they call them uh, Service Fabric Application Types and Service Types. And so you can, um, I use the analogy of a class definition Mm -hmm. and the object. When you say, hey, new object, create me a new object, uh, it uses that class definition that has the properties and the methods on them and creates you an actual object that does the stuff. And so you can say, hey, Service Fabric, here's an application that has, you know, these, this metadata about it so it's got these four or five different services it's yeah. got to run on these different ports it's got um these particular constraints around yeah. the application and yeah. you say create me a new one of these and service fabric will stamp out a new one for you right. and, and wow. spin it up
0: Did you ever feel like you're on the bridge of the starship enterprise like you're geordie laforge <laughs> La you know yeah say give me five minutes captain yeah right <laughs> <laughs> make it so yeah.
2: <laughs> This is, this is when it gets really cool because you can do this all programmatically. Sorry, a
0: bunch of millennials just said, who the hell is Jordi LaForge? <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of the millennials. Yeah, so. well, okay.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, I guess, do you guys, you you guys meaning your age group, do you are you into like the retro show sci-fi and all that stuff are uh, people into star trek still i,
2: I was into S- star trek big time
0: my wow. dad my dad was a big fan and so i watched it when i was growing up oh that's cool i watched all
2: the the old uh, original star trek and oh, the next wow. generation was when i really got into it
0: well that was at a good time right that was in a technological boom you know of windows and and all that stuff in the 90s very cool all right i didn't mean to derail you with the star trek talk but uh okay no worries.
1: So I just like the whole idea of here you've got a Linux Java team and a .NET Windows team running in the same infrastructure. Are there apps interoperating at all?
2: So the that particular application that we we're working on wasn't interrupting with right. the Windows side of the house uh, that I know of. But that's kind of the future that they're going to. I, th- I think that's what this ability to have the same uh, deployment process and the same infrastructure that you're running on mm. enables the new cl- collaboration and communication between teams that previously didn't necessarily communicate all that much.
1: Yeah. Right. It would have been harder if they were on separate infrastructure. That's for sure. Yep.
2: Yep. So, so now they can start to have conversations and say, Hey, um, we're using stateful services in this way over here. This is how you guys could potentially improve, um, the, the performance that you you're having or struggling with Mm. using this technology too. Mm
0: -hmm. Where do you think, um, the biggest, complication or the biggest stumbling block lies for people who are are getting into service fabric and maybe not just starting out but you know where where what's the where's the hard part
2: i think it's not even uh, necessarily service fabric related but it's more around how do you actually break down yeah. your application into smaller services right that is a very challenging thing to do yeah one of the important things to recognize is that that's where you have the, if you have a monolith that you're working with, that's Mm -hmm. where you can experiment and start to learn and identify components. We, this kind of comes back to the beginning of the conversation, Mm -hmm. but it's really that beginning. Um, like you don't, you won't really know what your domain looks like and how you're going to be working uh, the, the issues that you're going to run into. Um, and so I think it's, um, when you start talking about monoliths, it has this bad connotation to it, um, but it not, it's not necessarily this bad thing that you're you're sure. doing. I, I, when, it, when, it's, I, when I'm out in the community, the um, I have po- folks come up to me and they're like, "Well, we haven't, we're not using Service Fabric yet. This isn't. Um, we're, we're kind of behind in the days because we mm-hmm. have a monolith." And, yeah. I, and I want to dispel that
0: monoliths are a bad thing. Right. Um, well, that's how we built software back then. Yeah. You know? Right. We had a site and the site had everything in it. And, you know, if we needed more modules. We made more
1: assemblies. I would even argue that virtually every app starts as, as a prototype monolith because you don't know what needs to be broken out and scaled before you're running it anyway. Exactly.
0: Yeah, that's right. But, you know, if they were paying attention in the last 10, 15, 20 years about good software practices, they will have, you know, made their layers appropriately separate. Um, there's just a, a lot of... Apps out there that aren't that way, and I, I know I've seen them. I've cleaned them up.
2: <laughs> yep, I,
0: I have to. I've been a part of that. Yeah, and I think that's why the microservices concept
2: is so appealing because every single developer's had that those issues where right. they had trouble with either. Rapid application development, or they wanted to change a particular yeah. technology or uh, programming language that they were working with because it fit their model better, but they couldn't because they were they were, they had this big application that they were working
0: against. You know, and talking about the why of microservices is what we're getting into here. The um, you know, obviously the number one benefit is being able to add scale to the pieces that need it and not to the other ones. So it's a it's a matter of economics, but also I think maintenance. And de- in development is a huge issue. I mean, if you're hiring a new developer, give them a single service, you know, to to work on, and that it's just such a small piece of the big puzzle that it's not overwhelming. Whereas if you give a new developer, here's our app, and here's a million lines of code, go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't break anything. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't break anything. <laughs> it's just easier when there's that, you know, finite. St- wall between your service and everything else yeah i i think that's
2: absolutely uh, important and it's something to to re- recognize. But I, when whenever you're doing these engineering trade offs and deciding on different architectures that you're going to be using, mm. it's important to realize that the complexity doesn't go away. Yeah. the complexity just moves to a different part of your system. Right. And so when you start talking about microservices and s- having a smaller thing, it's easier for the developer to wrap their head around that particular service. Mm. But it's a little bit more challenging to, <laughs> to wrap your the head around picture, the, yeah. around the big picture. Sure, sure.
1: Well, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, I must be that happy time again.
0: Yeah, man, it's time to spin up a service that loads and monitors a service spin-up service <laughs>
1: with monitoring. <laughs> uh Oh, we're getting—it's going to be Inception time soon here. You know what Inception told us? What? <laughs> too too many virtual machines and everything runs slow. Yeah, right. Well, you know they hadn't seen microservices. That's what I'm saying.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's actually time to give away a DevExpress D-Experience subscription to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard... DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com/superhero. All right, buddy, who's our winner? Today's winner is Manish Muta. And
1: congratulations, Manish!
0: Yeah, clap for I'll you, i'll Clap sir. for Manish. Manish just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at Developer Express, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, about 13,000 last time I checked. Nice. And every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December... We give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. All right, James, it's your turn. And uh, I saw you there getting your, your, your <laughs> what notes. I want
2: ready. All right, what
0: are you going to buy with five grand? Well, so um,
2: this past Christmas, my wife bought me a drone. It's a little programmable drone. Okay. Uh, there's an Android component and there's a little drone. And so you can program, you, you write in... Uh, They've got this little API that you write against, and you can fly it. Neat. So I want to get a couple more of those. Those are not too expensive. Mm. Um, but then we've I've also been playing with um, the Intel TX1. It's a uh, machine learning uh, microprocessor. Oh. They have 256 CUDA cores on it. So you what? can do, you basically build your model up in the cloud, and then you can deploy the built model on this um Oh man. Component. So you can do all sorts of really cool stuff with it with, um, like image processing without having to do any network calls to, to call out to it. So wow. I want to take one of these things and they're. That you can't see the the listeners can't see, but they're uh, about, about four this or big. five inches round. Yeah, so you can take them; they look like a um, Raspberry Pi, and you can take that and put it on top of the co drone, and then have <laughs> the ability to do image processing and all those things like that. So, wow, and, and make kind of like a little swarm of them it would
0: be really cool. So you can put out a swarm, and together they'll make this huge ultra high <laughs> res image, right? <laughs>
2: exactly. I don't I don't know exactly what I do
1: with it, but it's, it's very uh, Skynet.
0: Yep. Yeah, I've seen drones that have been programmatically controlled in their flight path do sort of air ballet you know like dancing like sort of air show stunts and stuff have you seen that yeah yeah yeah. it's crazy i want to do that in my living room (laughs) (laughs) like to
1: do that over the neighbor's house (laughs) yeah i actually had a drone fly over the house the other day fairly fairly high altitude too i was waiting for the missile strike but no it didn't come oh well maybe it was delivering some amazon stuff to your neighbor that's possible or just taking aerial photographs right yeah right it's interesting. Um, diving back into this thing, uh, what's the role of containers? So, is containers sort of like the alternative to the uh, executable system?
2: Yeah. Um. So you can. You have two different options when you want to mm-hmm. move an existing application over with Service Fabric. And the first one is the guest executable. So you can just take right. any executable you want. Uh, the second one would be a container. And when you do the container, you get all the stuff that the container brings along, which is all the, it wraps up all your dependencies and
0: configuration in one nice, easy to use package. It's also great if you have existing containers, isn't it? That you want to just, you know, move into service fabric and then slowly chunk them out.
2: Right. Yep. Exactly. And it also brings along the ability to, um, control the the resources from the container level so you can say Mm. with with a container you can say um i want to have this much memory and this much cpu and you have that kind of isolation that you would get from containers
1: it's like a vm in a lot of respects just no it's no operating system it's smaller and lighter
0: what does a service fabric on-premises look like because i know that the software you can download and run it on your own machines what does that look like so I'm not super familiar with the on-premise side
2: of things. Okay. Um, I've seen the demos and seen them running it. Um, you'd basically download an executable, and you can run it, uh, and you set up the cluster, the set of machines that you're going to be running this thing on. You run this mm-hmm. installer on each of them, and they mm-hmm. can find themselves and, and begin to operate as a larger cluster.
0: Wow. And so they will do automatically do scaling up of services across that cluster as need be?
2: Yeah, so you get all the same stuff. It's the same bits that you're running up in Azure. Um, You're getting them just on your local machine. That's wild. It's
0: really interesting. Have you ever, Richard, have you ever had a
1: customer that wanted to do something like that? I mean, before this was available? Mm, Yeah, I mean, I've always wanted folks who wanted symmetrical execution between a remote data center and the local data center. But, you know, the, the idea of public cloud architecture Right, you know that that you know this is a different scale, and I, I mean I'm, and it's always been up until recently If ran if you ran in the public cloud and ran in a way that's not going to run on premise. This this idea that we could do both, I think it's a pretty new concept, and I I haven't found a lot of folks doing it yet. But it's nice to know it's there. Yeah, it almost feels like a checklist item. Right. Like ah uh, okay, well we could run it on premise if we want. Right. Or any other cloud. Well, that is an interesting angle. We did a show a while back with Vishwas uh, Lele talking about. That whole idea of what if you wanted to run in both Azure and AWS? Right.
0: And they did a demo of that, like a build. Was it Scott Guthrie did that, running uh, running it on a- AWS? Yeah,
2: I, I can't remember who, of the who ran it, but, yeah, one of the Scots <laughs> did it. And, um, yeah, they, I mean, they within an hour, they demoed it on-prem, so running on the local. They had a set of uh, VMs or set of hardware machines sitting on the um on the stage so they ran it there they ran it up in azure they actually ran it on aws and Mm. um they showed how you could the same deployment model so um you can use the azure cli to actually deploy to these things you can use that same cli to deploy to all three of those right there was no change to the application that you were you're working with and deploying Mm. Um, the only thing that changes is just kind of the the networks that you're using so Hmm. azure has a different set of tools and like infrastructure that you use versus something like aws
1: right interesting and you you would hope it would run best on azure (laughs) you know yes and that's
2: definitely the case
1: (laughs) (laughs) good uh, yeah, this is just a, I think we're from an enterprise architecture point of view, we're in unprecedented territory here. Like, I feel very empowered to be able to take like those Docker containers that will run nicely on a, on a developer's workstation. So that he's running in the same config- configuration as production effectively. And then he can push it through QA and we can make replicas of them and run them in parallel for a big test farm. And then they push up to, to production. It's like, where would you like to run this today? We have all of those choices.
0: So let's say uh, we're back in ASP.NET 2.0 land, as I said before. You know, we've got an application that needs to move up, and and there's this uh, you know um, guy on our staff who knows all the the tools and who has all the Git repos that he needs to to put stuff in containers and manage it all himself. And this is one thing that we've been talking about on the show when Service Fabric comes up is that you have the the archetypical developer who wants control over everything, wants everything in a container, wants the source to every little tool that's running in there uh, so that they can control everything. And then you have, you know, the rest of the world, which I would argue there's more of. And enterprise level developers, people who listen to our show mostly, who want to leverage the, the platform as a service f- Offerings from Microsoft and you know Service Fabric falls right in line with that. Um, what do you say to those people who, you know, have been approached by the by the people who want all the control? Is there is there a case to be made for doing everything yourself versus going into Service Fabric and letting Azure do it, or or is it just like no, just just trust us and let's rock and roll? So. I don't think you need to necessarily trust. Uh,
2: we have, this has been running, uh, in some form for the last 10 years inside right. microservice, uh, inside Microsoft. So there's, there's lots of, um, it's been covered, in, yeah. it's been uncovered in many different scenarios. There's some really funny stories that the teams told me about, um, finding bugs inside of uh threading libraries that inside like the core windows threading library it's pretty crazy oh wow (laughs) Um,
0: but so ultimate dog fooding because because azure runs on service fabric Uh,
2: one third of the cores inside azure run on top of service fabric which is pretty crazy number if you think about it um but i think um i think there's a there's a when you look at it from the developer's perspective mm. and you're trying to, you you want that full control, you have, you can get all that control. You can swap out a particular logging framework. If you, if you want to use right. a particular logging uh, stack, then you can go ahead and do that. Right. Um, the, the nice thing is, you is can that, use whatever
0: cache you want. For yeah. Example. You can use whatever
2: yeah. cache or whatever database that you want to use. Right. Um, and you, and with containers, you can make sure that only the, the, bits of your application and the libraries that you're interested in, you have that control because you can mm. deploy it with Service Fabric. Right. The thing that Service Fabric enables is being able to say, here's a set of best practices that have been used and tested. And this is how you integrate with them without having to go out and see, you know, five or six different options and try to evaluate the best of Got those. It. And so that time, the time that is, required to do that research and do it properly i think is um where service fabric can say hey here's a here's a bunch of tools that are solid and and work and have been tested go for it and if you want to swap out a particular component you can
0: so you still have control over the stuff that runs but you don't have to necessarily fix the bugs yourself and recompile and redeploy and yeah i mean there's We don't want to be reinventing the wheel. We want to be
2: moving forward and and developing um, our applications using some best practices. And I think Service Fabric gives you some of that right out of the box. Right. So
0: what if when we do this move to Service Fabric, we discover in the early phase that the piece that's slowing us down and holding us back isn't actually something that can be fixed with Service Fabric or even a microservices per se like let's say it's just a bad database I mean there isn't any any way short of you know redoing the database in, in another more scalable or whatever uh, technology right yeah if, if you find out that um,
2: all the processing is happening in the database. And I've seen that before where mm-hmm. all the logic and all the business logics in the SQL database and, you know, just moving your application to service fabric isn't going to solve that problem. Sure. And mm-hmm. so you need to go approach and figure out how to break that down and begin to uh, develop it so that you improve the performance there mm-hmm. versus throwing it on service fabric and saying, well, hey, service fabric or any other orchestrator isn't going to solve that problem. And, it's a, and so, yeah, and, and you, then you end up bl- blaming the tool instead of, you know, looking at the, this, the server that. Sure.
0: Yeah. Richard and I have never seen any SQL servers like that. Have we Richard? No, never. That doesn't that happen. That doesn't happen. <laughs> no, it's crazy time. I, you remember when they, uh, when Microsoft announced the, the .NET framework was going to run inside, uh, SQL server and it does for what was it? Extended stored procedures, right?
1: That's like 2005, dude. yeah <laughs> A I, long I know, time ago. you know, yeah, but
0: so the systems are still running.
1: Yeah. And it does not make it a good idea. It was off by default for a reason. Yeah. Yep. There were certain classes of problems that it addressed. Mm. But it's, you know, such a classic, it's your foot moment when you try to you decide to go down that path.
0: Are most of your um, customers, um, when developing new systems, are they still going with a, a relational database like SQL Server and stored procedures as a layer? Or do you find that there's a lot more emphasis and a lot more embracing of uh you know either no databases document databases um non-relational or even if they're relational you know maybe sort of not so not not putting so much logic in the database itself yeah absolutely not putting so much
2: logic in the database itself i think that's really important to um to recognize but i think you know SQL server has been around forever or or SQL Mm -hmm. in general has been around forever. And so it's a, it's a really good choice for a majority of your applications. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. again, it comes down to your particular scenario and being able to understand, you know, what is your scenario? Is it a bunch of reads or is it a bunch of writes in Mm -hmm. picking the right
0: database for, um, that scenario that you're trying to solve? But certainly these document databases work better in containers, don't they? Uh, so I think there's two
2: schools of thought when it comes to running databases in containers. Uh, one of them is or to, from containers Or anyway. from containers anyways. Yeah. yeah. One of them is you put you you can do that, and the other one is to let the this database be outside of whatever orchestrator
1: you're working in. Yeah. Right. I mean, certainly, if you're going to put the data. Uh, engine in there the the database itself is living somewhere else because containers are transient and that's bad for data (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) but yeah it's really interesting to decide when you're going to put something like a database engine into a container right uh unless it's i mean the the, like the mongo engine's so light right and document db right well that's a service in azure Mm -hmm. right
0: so what's next for you, James? What are you up to these days? I know that you you and I, our companies worked on a, a project up in, in Maine. I don't know how much we can talk about it, but we're, you know, AppVNext yeah. is doing an IoT project and you did the back end for that, right?
2: Yeah. So I worked with, it's actually company Rockstep. We did a uh, case study with them. So I have a case study on the on the website talking about how we built out their back end infrastructure with uh, IoT Hub and uh, Azure Stream Analytics. And we even used some Azure... Um, functions to Mm -hmm. uh, do some alerting and processing there and so you can go check that out Uh, i can probably pass you a a link to that okay that's cool
0: yeah yeah and uh one of our guys is working on the iot part of it and uh man it's awesome basically monitoring lab animals with iot devices and you know just watching the traffic going through slack on this project has been fascinating
2: yeah, there's, uh, it's so cool. They're 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 transforming that industry, and I think that's one of the th- cool things with IoTs that it can transform an industry uh, by just collecting a little bit of data. So,
0: yeah,
1: sure. No kidding.
0: Very good, James. Thanks. It's been yeah. great talking to you, and I really a- appreciate the the practical slant that we got on this show today. Yeah, I hope I hope I was useful for you and and the listeners. Definitely. All right. Thanks again, James, and we'll see you, dear listener, next time. .net rocks .net rocks is brought to you by franklin's net and produced by pop studios Now go write some code. See you next time.